Welcome to Coffee House Questions with Ryan Polly. We're going to continue an awesome conversation that we started last week with Eric Johnson discussing what do Mormons believe uh, and how it is different than Christianity, how that we can be prepared to have that conversation when they come knocking at the door. Now, this week, we're going to continue the conversation discussing his new book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons with Sean McDowell, Practical Strategies for Getting the Conversation Started. Now, if you didn't catch last week, I encourage you to go back. Eric has written Mormonism 101 and co-authored, you know, uh, Answering Mormon Questions with Bill McKeever, some great resources, also does a daily radio show. And so he is a student of Mormonism for a very long time and is is knowledgeable in this topic and is great for helping us understand how we can share the gospel with Mormons. So Eric, thank you for coming on, discussing part two with me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Now, last week, we looked at a whole lot of different beliefs, and you did a great job sharing those that information. Now, I think it'd be kind of important as we start out before we jump in this new book of what about the person who says, you know, well, kind of aren't Mormons Christians? You know, why, why are we spending so much time writing books and, and taking these approaches uh, to, to talk with Mormons when they kind of believe in Jesus? Well, and, and as we said last week, the version of the Mormon Jesus is different, and that was admitted to by Gordon B. Hinckley that it's a different Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 11.4 says if you have a different Jesus, then it's not a Jesus worth following. And and so uh, I think anybody who does not have the true gospel according to what the Bible has needs to have the gospel given to them. Just because, for instance, Jesus Christ is in the church Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints name doesn't make it a Christian church any more than the Muslim who says Jesus is a great prophet, one of the seven greatest, peace be upon him, they would say, or the Hare Krishna devotees that I've talked to have a great respect for Jesus as a guru. But if, if it's a Jesus that was not God incarnate, who is the second person of the Trinity, who uh, died for the sins of the believer. I mean, th these are the things that we need to understand. And if we understand that uh, Mormonism denies or distorts every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian church, I don't think there's a problem to say Mormons need to be evangelized. Yeah. Absolutely. They are people that need Jesus. And so now you have just put out this new book. Actually, it is released today, the day that we're recording. Uh, when this gets uh, released, the podcast is released. It will already have been out a little bit. Uh, but put out this new book with Sean McDowell, Sharing the Good News with Mormons. Can you tell us a little bit about this book and what did you find most interesting as you wrote it compared to kind of your past books on just looking at Mormonism and their beliefs? Well, I, I think um... – the most interesting thing is that there would be a reputable Christian publisher that would even print it, and that's because evangelism books to a single topic religion are not going to be bestsellers. We knew that going in, but when I came up with the idea in late 2016, and I was asked this question, and I've been asked it many, many times before, what is the one approach I should use that would win the Mormon every time? I, we call it the silver bullet. Yeah. Th there's not one approach. Uh, there are many approaches that are successful for many people, and I decided back in 2016 I was going to get some of my friends to write chapters on their techniques, and I got Sandra Tanner and Bill McKeever and Chip Thompson and a lot of my friends in this ministry, and then I was encouraged to get others who didn't have full-time ministry to Mormons but, but were – uh, well-known apologist. Sean McDowell uh, was certainly one. Mark Middleberg, J. Warner Wallace, who wrote Cold Case Christianity. Corey Miller, who's the head of Ratio Christi, a college ministry. David Geisler, the son of Norm Geisler. A lot of different people like that who also had strategies. So we have 24 
different chapters written by 26 people. And what I love about this book, Ryan, is there's diversity, and yet there's so much unity in what we're trying to do. Every person who wrote has a genuine love for the Mormon. There's no chapter you'll find in this book that tries to put Mormons down or to scream at them or tell them that they're going to hell. I mean, we, we love Mormons. Otherwise, why would we do what we do? And even why would we write this book? But uh, I think it's a book that shows that there's not just one way to do evangelism. And perhaps the reader can look at the ways that other people are doing evangelism and see if maybe that tactic could work for them. Or maybe they'd be willing to adjust the tactics they're reading about and make it work in their own lives. And then I'm going to suggest that you're not going to be able to be effective in evangelism to Mormons unless you do it over and over again. It takes a lot of practice. I think mm -hmm. some people think that all I have to do is read this book. I'm going to do this strategy the first time I'm going to see a Mormon come to the Lord. Well, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And in fact, yeah. you're probably going to have more questions when you're done with that first session than, than uh, you thought you would have, and maybe even some doubts as to whether that's going to be a good way of doing it. But then keep trying, keep working it out, and learn more about Mormonism. Uh, if you have LDS friends or family members, Really get to know them, and it you know we we certainly want to share our faith in an effective manner, but but we need to be personable. We need to love the people for who they are. They are Mormons are typically very nice people, very gracious, um, and for the most part, they're fun to talk to. So I think yeah. if you learn how to do that and learn some ways of doing it, I have my ways of doing it, and Ryan, I bet you have different ways of doing it than I do, and I bet we both have successes and failures at the same time, but but I, I think that's what I would encourage. Yeah, and that was one exciting thing as I opened up this book and began to look through it is that uh, you have so many different resources, so many different people have contributed. You had a, a spotlight on Brett Kunkel, uh, who again is the president of Maven, the organization that I work for, and, and my role with them is, is a field guide, where actually in about a month and a half, I'm gonna be traveling out to Salt Lake City, Utah, with a group of uh, high school students from Montana, uh, spending about a week doing training on Mormonism. We've already started the training with them and helping them understand crea uh, Christianity and Mormonism, uh, but then going out to Utah and helping them learn how to share the good news with Mormons and how to present those messages. And and many of the people in this book are people that we work with out in Utah. And so if you join up with Maven and Brett and myself and uh, take a team out there, you'll get to be introduced to people like Bill McKeever. We went over to his house and he talked to us about the golden plates. Uh, we went down to Ephraim where Chip Thompson is and went to his coffee shop that he uses to do evangelism to Mormons right across from, I believe it's a Snow University. Snow College. After, Snow yep. College after uh, President Snow of the Mormon Church. Uh, Sandra Tanner and her ministry, she told us about what goes on inside the temple. Uh, we went to Rob Savoka's house and he has a chapter in the book on the sign approach and holding up a sign that says josephlied.org uh, or dot com where the uh, the missionaries or the Mormons walking by will see that and maybe Google that and see what ha that sign has to say. And then as well as uh, Lauren Pankratz, who we actually stayed at his house, and he has a church there and has done a lot of work on and with Mormonism. And so that's just very exciting, all the different people that you have. And if people go on one of these trips, go out to Salt Lake City, there are so many other resources too that when they get there of people that can work with training them. One of the things that I like about this book, Ryan, is that no book like it has ever been written. And that's why last week I was talking about the publisher. They have been very supportive. Harvest House has been very nice to us and has helped us to be able to promote this book. But 
having it written by so many different people, there are several different evangelism books that I could uh, recommend. One would be from Chip Thompson. He he wrote The Mormon Scrapbook. I think it's a great book, yeah. but it's really one-sided because it you know it's uh, Chip Thompson's ways of doing it, and there's nothing wrong with his ways. Don't get me wrong, but – what about some of the other ways that he doesn't like, but maybe somebody else would like, like Rob Savolka's uh, is a little more on the controversial end. Yeah. I think there's a way to do signage and make it positive and communicate truth by getting people to go to your website. Andrew Rappaport is a, a street evangelist uh, who, uh, you know, you st- usually you say street evangelism and you go, well, those are the King James only kind of people who like to shout and scream at people and tell them they're going to hell. He actually does it much differently. He has a chapter in the book talking about how you could actually do this in a positive way and have great conversations. And he comes out to Manti uh, semi-regularly to share. In fact, he's going to come out this uh, this year. And, uh, and people will gather around and listen to what he has to say. He does yeah. it much better than I can. Yeah. So in the first chapter of your book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, with you and uh, Sean McDowell, you guys edited it, um, you talked about how this book is kind of like a buffet. Uh, there's a lot to pick from, and you kind of go in and you choose your favorite. That You don't go into an all-you-can-eat buffet, and you don't eat everything. You kind of find the different sections that you like, try a few things from those sections, and then go back for seconds on the things that you really like. And this is how you kind of describe this book. Uh, and so it's broken up into six sections. And then within each of those sections, you present four approaches. Uh, So really, for those listening, there are so many different approaches, but then kind of broken up into the sections to help give you an idea, kind of like that buffet of here's the meats, here's the veggies, here's that thing, and kind of picking what you like. And so I want to kind of work through this with you and and kind of help the listener understand kind of what is going on in this book. And so section one talks about the basic training approaches. What would be a basic training approach? Well, this this first section, we really emphasized – uh, the issue of Mormons who um, may be thinking Mormonism is wrong, and they naturally will head out of Mormonism and not to Christianity. We estimate about 80% of any, everybody who leaves Mormonism will head over to agnosticism or atheism. So if you're going to talk effectively with a person who's thinking about leaving the church, you better be honed, on, honed in on the topic of atheism. And so we we have chapters, for instance, by Sean McDowell, who's the co-editor of this book, sharing the reasons for God, the evidence approach. Just, okay, is there even still a God? But a lot of Latter-day Saints who leave the church, they just want to get rid of God. Or how about Matt Slick from Karm.org? He talks about the reliability of the Bible because that's the first thing that's tossed. Uh, they already had kind of a lower view of the Bible because Article 8 by Joseph Smith it says that uh, the book, the, um, the Bible is true as far as it's translated correctly. So he, he deals with that topic. And then a great chapter by Rob Bowman on Jesus. Who is the real Jesus? And you might have had a false version of Jesus. Doesn't mean that there isn't a true version of Jesus hmm. just because you got burned by the Mormon church doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't exist and can be your savior. So trying to help them understand that just because, yeah, that they had a false view and we kind of show that your false view is false. Right. doesn't mean that there isn't a true view. Awesome. 
Now you can then move into uh, section two, the reasoning approaches. What would be a, a reasoning approach? Well, one would be J. Warner Wallace, who is a cold case detective in Los Angeles. He wrote Investigating Mormonism, the case-making approach. And he took the same stance as he did with his book, Cold Case Christianity. He asked a lot of questions and he says, you know what? There are just too many problems with the story of Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. And so he goes through and it's only 3,000 words. It's only six or seven pages, but he packs a lot in that chapter. And another, another chapter in that section is by my friend Bill McKeever, the head of Mormonism Research Ministry. He deals with the first vision in the Book of Mormon. If those two events are not historical and they're not really true, then Mormonism falls apart. So he talks about what he does to try to show the Latter-day Saint they've got some historical issues. All right. And then in section three, it kind of gets into the personal approaches. Maybe for those of you that, that want to just have more of a personal conversation with a Mormon, what, what would fall into that category of personal approaches? Sandra Tanner wrote a chapter, When the Elders Come Calling, the Missionaries at Your Door Approach. And that would be a great chapter for everybody to read. Every Christian should know what happens when you, knock, when you have missionaries knock on the door. Do you mm -hmm. go hide behind the couch? Do you uh, do you go to the door and slam it in their face, tell them they're going to go to hell? Some people have done that, you know, and it's not a very effective strategy. So, well, when they come to our door, that's an opportunity for us to become evangelists. They came to witness to us. Well, maybe we could have a conversation. She goes into that and talks about how you can talk to the missionaries. And in our last uh, last week's conversation, we ended with kind of some what are some questions you can ask the Mormon if they knock on your door? So that way, just have those three questions, you know. Right on the right in your mind and be able to ask those and be able to get into a conversation, even if you don't get into deep things. But, you know, it is sad when when Mormons come to my house. I often will ask them, how do you get treated by other people when you knock on the door, especially how do you get treated by Christians? And oftentimes they'll say not very well. Mm. Uh, you know, it's very disrespectful in the way that they're treated. And so we really do need to understand how to have that personal conversation, but also treat them with love and respect uh, that they deserve as human beings creating the image of God. Amen. So moving on from personal approaches, your next section is the invitational approach. What's the invitational approach? Well, these are different ways of engaging in the gospel discussions. Uh, here's one, chapter 16 by Dr. Brian Hurlbut, who's the pastor of Lifeline Community in West Jordan, Utah, a friend of mine. And he wrote, The Power of a Simple Invitation, the Come and See Approach. He says that an evangelism tactic is inviting somebody to church. Now, how hard can that be? I mean, your church is having some kind of a special service or he talks about this and how you can actually get them to come and listen to what is being said. He's talks in the book. He talks about a baptism that took place. And so Mormon uh, members from the family came and uh, and and how they were able to understand a little better, because a lot of Mormons misunderstand what Christianity really is. They've never really taken a close look at it. And it brought up the opportunity for that family then, the Christian family, to be able to go have lunch and answer some of their questions. So that's a interesting way of doing evangelism, but it's there. All right. So some of those are when the Mormon comes to your house, but then there's also big LDS events, the general conference or temple openings. And there's uh, some approaches here in this book that talk about going to the LDS event and trying to evangelize there. So what are some of the ways that you can evangelize at an LDS event? Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, um, one by Andrew Rappaport, Let Your Voice Be Heard, the open air evangelism approach. Uh, and that's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to be able to stand on a little soapbox and be able to, uh, to publish 
publicly share and deal with hecklers. But I think Andrew did a really good job doing that. It's a little more on the controversial end. And as I said in last week's show, there's not one way of doing evangelism. So we're not saying that's the only way to do it. But if that's something you're interested in, there you go. Or Rob Savoca, we mentioned him earlier as well, website advertising, the sign approach. I use website signs all the time. We can see sometimes 100 to 200 people who will go on the website after an afternoon of standing at an event like a temple open house or uh, somewhere else and be able to get them to come. And so creativity there is going to be the most important thing for people to want to come to your website. All right. And then Texan 6, it, it finishes with one of the most important, talking about the view of salvation. And so what would be an example of a salvation approach? I like this section, the very end of the book. We have, I think it's the most important section of the book. Uh, chapter 21, Joel Grote writes, when being good is not good enough, the awareness of sin approach. I don't think a lot of people realize how bad of sinners they are. So he has a way of counting your sins. And when you, when you get into the tens of thousands of sins, if you're even committing just five or ten a day and all the days that there are, how much forgiveness you actually need. And then we mentioned Keith Walker earlier. I'm trying my best, the impossible gospel approach, just using six verses out of the unique LDS scriptures to show nobody is going to be able to do what the Mormon leaders and what the standard works say you have to do in order to be able to receive forgiveness of sins. If you ask a Latter-day Saint on the street, if you were to die right now, do you know you've done everything you're supposed to to be able to go to the celestial kingdom? Are you abiding by a celestial law, according to D&C 87? And they typically will say, no, I'm not. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. And that's not good enough. Spencer Kimball said in The Miracle of Forgiveness, a book that I like to hand out at public events, uh, page 164, he said, trying is not sufficient, nor is repentance complete when one merely tries to abandon sin. To try is weak. To do the best you can is not strong. You must always do better than you can. And that's a, that's directly related to 2 Nephi 25-23, talked about by Keith as one of his six verses, that we're saved by grace after all you can do. And then the question becomes, how much can you really do? Are you able to do everything this religion says? No, it's impossible. So really for the Mormon, there is no confidence in salvation like the Christian can have, that we can know that we are saved. Yeah, First John 5.13 tells the Christian that we might know we have eternal life. The yeah. Mormon doesn't have that confidence. And that's really sad because Jesus says in John 10.10, he says, I came to give them life and that they might have it abundantly. And I think Mormons are great people, but I think they are living very anxious lives. They're trying their hardest. Every week they go to their sacrament service. They take the sacrament of bread and water, and then they have to repent. And then they go out in the parking lot and they cut somebody off. And they've already broken the covenant they made that they were going to keep all the commandments. they got to start all over again. It's just a endless circle that uh, it's like the hamster wheel. You know, you keep trying to reach the end and you just never get there. But Christianity has a much different approach. It's based on what Jesus did. He yeah. did all the work that we are saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And we as Christians believe in good works, but yeah. we just don't believe that those are the works we have to do to somehow earn God's favor. 
Absolutely. It's so true. Now, so <clears throat> there we just looked at six sections, four approaches per section, 24 different approaches. Would you say that, you know, the Christian reading this book, they need to go out and try all 24? No, not at all. I think, uh, in fact, this book, as you mentioned, uh, does not have to be read in order. It doesn't have to be read in completeness. You can just kind of go through the index and just go, oh, that sounds interesting. And you, you look at some of the others, ah, eh, that's not something I would do. So to read this book all the way through, if you were to read 12 or 14 of the chapters and put the other seven or eight chapters away, that's fine. I, I don't think this is, it, it's not like a chapter builds on the other, but you, what's nice about this is it gives people the ability to see how others have done it successfully as far as evangelism is concerned and then they say to themselves you know that's not a bad idea maybe i could do this and maybe i'd modify it a little bit and that's okay we give you the permission to modify in any way you want and be able to share your faith effectively all right now what about the person who says man these 24 approaches that seems just too systematic why don't we just go out and just share with our testimony and just live and love Mormons and help them see the truth of Christianity that way. Well, lifestyle evangelism is something that a lot of people will point to, and they're going to know me by my good deeds in my life. And you have to understand something. The Mormon may very well have a better grasp on what morality is than many Christians do. They're not going to be that impressed by your good living, and you're going to have to use your mouth sometimes. Uh, certainly, uh, we do need to have lifestyle evangelism, but we also have to be able to know how to orally share and look for opportunities. And I'm not saying every conversation has to be about about religion, about uh, the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. But if you are looking for those opportunities, it, you don't have to use a systematic approach at all. I mean, you might have you might have uh, different ways depending on the situation. I I know that I have used three or four different kinds of tactics, but but my point is I'd rather see a Christian who is actively trying to share their faith than not trying to share their faith at all. And I sometimes yeah. I'll get criticized for the way that I do it, and then I I like to ask the question, well, can you tell me how you do it? And maybe I can learn from you. I have found many of the critics of the types of evangelism talked about in this book are people who don't have anything to offer in the way that they would do it. Yeah. Now, as far as criticizing some strategies, would you say that you have seen some strategies that are big mistakes, that are things that we should criticize that you would recommend against? Well, certainly, if you do some of these wrong, they can be done badly. I mentioned with Rob Savolka and the web um, and his website advertising approach, the sign approach. If you go down to Temple Square during general conference, you'll have a lot of different people out there. And some of the signs I'm thinking, ah, I just don't see the positive nature when they're yelling at people or, or uh, you're all going to hell, you're going to burn there. You know, I mean, I don't think that's a good message. So yeah. any of these approaches can be done if done right. But if they're done badly, then I think it can bring a black eye to Christianity. So you have to always measure what kind of evangelism approach you're using with First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. How many people forget that part about being gentle and respectful? I think we need to be 
shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, as Jesus said. But, the, you know, we, we need to also uh, do it in a way that doesn't bring the black eye to Christianity. Yeah. Now, going along with what I think kind of lines up with Chapter 6 by Corey Miller on undermining the confidence in a Mormon's personal testimony, Ben Adnew wrote in on Instagram and said, how do you help a Mormon see that their belief in Mormonism is more emotionally based rather than logically based? Well, the the, the thing is, um, here here's what I would ask. If you were to find out that Joseph Smith was wrong and that the teachings of Mormonism's, uh, Mormonism misleads people, what would you do? I have asked that question before, and well, he's not wrong. Well, I I agree. You would believe that. That's fine. But if he were wrong, what would you do? They have a really hard time responding to that question because they have prayed about the Book of Mormon, which was translated supposedly by Joseph Smith. And I, if they say it wouldn't matter if he was wrong, I still would believe it because I have a testimony. Then. I think we need to do what Jesus says and not throw pearls before swine. I think we need to say, well, is anything going to convince him? Because I can show them that Joseph Smith was wrong. I, you know, I could do my best to do that and I could possibly do it. I've actually had Mormons tell me, well, it sounds like what you're saying is true, but I have a testimony. And so, yes, Mormonism is very much based for most Mormons that I've talked with, based more on their emotions than on the logic, uh, on uh, on the uh, the evidence. But I always like to say, you know what? There are a lot of isms out there. Go with where the evidence lies. If the evidence takes you away from Mormonism, you need to be willing to accept it might be wrong. I need to be willing to accept it might be wrong. And I'd rather go with the truth than something that I just believe because of my presuppositions or it was the way my family uh, taught me when I grew up. That I, yeah. think, I think those are errors in, uh, in following a religion that is not true. John Kalmikov wrote in on Facebook and he said, well, what do you think about the thought that if or what do Mormons think about the thought that if they're right, we Christians end up in one of the three kingdoms at, at death. But if we are right, they spend eternity separated from God. Well, and that's actually called Pascal's Wager. We have an article on our website, mrm.org slash Pascal's Wager, P-A-S-C-A-L-S hyphen wager and you can go and see the complete uh, conversation there I actually use this all the time and I don't think it's a good reason to believe in Christianity because it's a safer bet but I think it gets the Mormon to think about the possibility if he were wrong because both of us can't be wrong the law of non-contradiction says you can't have a and and uh, B or a B non a that it's impossible for for uh, both to be correct it uh, it's possible that Hinduism is correct or Islam is correct or atheism is correct. We both could be wrong. We have to accept that, but we don't really believe that. So then ask them, well, okay, what happens to you? What happens to me if you're right? And they'll oftentimes say, well, I'm not quite ready for the celestial kingdom. I'll probably go to the terrestrial kingdom, the second kingdom. Oh, okay. Well, where do you think I would go? I don't know. You probably go to the terrestrial kingdom. You seem like a nice guy. Okay. Well, that's fair. It sounds like we might be headed to the same place. Now, could I tell you what the situation would be if Christianity is true and Mormonism is false and you remain a Mormon to the end? And then you can say it's uh, either uh, presence of God or it's separation from God for eternity. You don't have to get so deep into that idea of hell, but the idea is this is a big issue. And, and I have a lot of Mormons tell me, well, we'll just have to find out at the end. 
No, it's too late at the end. You need to make your decision now. Well, now we only have about two minutes or less than two minutes, so I uh, have to do these last two quickly. But just quickly, John also said, is there any evidence for their position? And it depends on what that means, evidence. Uh, let me just throw out the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, uh, there is no archaeological evidence. There is no DNA evidence that the peoples of the Americas, the Native Americans, were actually from Israel. We have found using DNA that they come from uh, Asia that through the Bering Strait. Uh, it's interesting when you come to the Book of Mormon, you have to really accept it on faith alone. You don't have the evidence. Mormons disagree as to where the places of the Book of Mormon even existed in North America, Central America. Many of the scholars from Brigham Young University, a church-owned university, will point to Central America and look at the Mayans and say that those were some of the Lamanites, some of the people from the Book of Mormon, but uh, Mayan scholars say that's impossible. So I, I think that would be one point that you could say just doesn't have evidence. And then other aspects of doctrine doesn't have evidence in the Bible. I think we need to use our Bibles to be able to uh, show that there is a God who's one God. There really is a Trinity. Jesus is God who came in the flesh and dwelt among us so that we might have the opportunity to believe in him. Oh, thank you so much. Now, we'll have to stop it there, but is there, uh, where are some places that people can go to find more information about you and the work that you're doing? You can go to mrm.org. That's our website. And if you'd like to learn more about the book, and we have some additional chapters, we call them bonus chapters, to sharing the good news with Mormons, you can go to sharing with Mormons, one word, sharingwithmormons.com. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss uh, this book and your work with us. Thanks for having me, Ryan. And those listening, thank you so much for listening. Share this with your family, with your friends. If you'd enjoyed it, go to mrm.org. Go to sharingwithmormons.com. Follow on social media. Send in your questions or comments for future interviews. And I hope that you have an awesome rest of your day. Think deeply, everybody. This has been Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. Don't hesitate to follow your love.